Well, let me say once again, church family, happy Mother's Day. It is good for us as a people to honor our mothers, to honor our parents, our moms and dads. In fact, it's been commanded of us by God to honor our mothers and our fathers in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. So moms amongst us today, I hope you feel honored. And I hope all of us as children who are able to will do our best to honor our mothers today. And one of the ways that we hope to honor you moms amongst us in our gathering is by reminding us from the scripture about the importance of motherhood. Mothers, you have an incredible amount of influence in the life of your children. We saw evidence of that in the passage we read earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. You have a unique ability to position your children with the help of God's word and the help of God's spirit toward the things of God. And moms, I wanna ask for your help today. As a pastor, I wanna ask for your help. I, I want to ask you to help us raise up a generation of children committed to the gospel. To help us as a church raise up a generation of children committed to the kingdom of God. Because what the church needs, what the world needs, is a generation of children who are fully aware of what it means to follow after Christ. Who are fully aware of what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. And your children have been entrusted to you for this purpose to set their eyes on the things of God and to send them out for his glory. What a task, what a privilege that has been entrusted to us as parents, mothers and fathers. Yes, dads, this message is for you as well, even though I'm speaking directly to moms today because it's their day, don't try to steal it. But you do need to overhear. You need to, you need to listen to the responsibility God has given to us as Parents, And this message is also for those who desire to have children, either biologically or through adoption, or even grandparents who are engaged in the lives of their grandchildren, or single adults around us who desire to encourage parents toward this godly goal. I want us this morning to be reminded from God's word about the ultimate purpose of motherhood, the ultimate purpose of parenting, which is to populate the earth with worshipers of the one true God. That's why God has given us children, to help them see their need for God, to entrust their faith in Jesus and give God the worship that he deserves. And to help us remember the importance of motherhood for the sake of the gospel, I want us to look at an encounter that Jesus has with a mother in Matthew chapter 20. Yeah, we're gonna jump ahead a little bit in our study of the gospel, Matthew chapter 20. And at this point, Matthew's gospel, we're right before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem that we discussed on Palm Sunday. And as Jesus is preparing to enter Jerusalem toward that, that last portion of his earthly life, he has an interesting conversation with a woman named Salome. Salome is the mother of James and John the sons of Zebedee, and in all likelihood is Jesus's aunt. And we learn her name from Mark's account, his gospel, chapter 15, verse 40. Now, Salome has been a follower of Jesus. 
And she's been listening intently to his teaching. And here's what she heard in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, or at least heard about Jesus saying this to his disciples. He said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus says, those who follow faithfully after me, you're going to have an opportunity, specifically you apostles, to reign alongside me and to establish this kingdom that the Father has sent me to establish. Now, Jesus is talking about the future here. He's talking in an eschatological or end times sense, but his followers, even these apostles, they still are thinking in terms of an earthly kingdom. And it's their belief he's returning to Jerusalem to set up this earthly kingdom. And with that promise in mind, and the possibility that her sons could be reigning alongside Jesus, Salome comes to Jesus with a request. Likely she's been urged by her sons to come to Jesus with this request. And here's what she asks in verses 20 and 21 of Matthew chapter 20. Salome comes to Jesus with her sons, kneels before him as an expression of honor and asks him for something. And he says to her, what do you want? And she says to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Hey, Jesus, remember those thrones you were talking about? Those 12 thrones? There are 12 apostles Hey, in boldness, I want to come and ask you, can James and John be your right and at your left? Would you bestow, remember, these are your cousins and they're your apostles, would you bestow upon them the great honor, the the unique privilege of sitting right beside you as you rule and judge in your kingdom? Now listen, it's, it's hard for us to think too badly of her or fault her for this request, right? In our flesh, Don't we want the same thing for our kids? Don't we want greatness for our children? But the question that Jesus is pressing us with today is, what does greatness look like in the kingdom of God? Does does our idea of of greatness align with what Jesus says is great in his kingdom? You see, Salome's request reveals a misunderstanding a misunderstanding about this kingdom that Jesus is building. And so he presses in and look at how he responds in verses 22 and 23. Jesus answers, Salome, you do not know what you're asking. Are you, looking at James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they said to him, shockingly, we are able And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. She looks, he looks at Salome, he looks at James and John and says, I don't think this request is going to bring about what you think it's going to bring about. You're... You don't yet fully understand what you are asking of me when you ask this, because here's what Jesus just declared to them. Right previous to this in verses 17 to 19, he just told them why he's going to Jerusalem. 
And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flagged or flogged and, and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. Friends, I'm not going to Jerusalem to overthrow Rome immediately and establish Israel once again as the preeminent nation upon the earth. I'm going to die. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to suffer and then be raised from the dead. Can you drink of this cup? Can you truly share in my suffering? To share in my glory? And they say yes, but it's a naive yes. They, it's as if they almost think Jesus is going to take all the suffering so that we can share in the glory. And in part, he does. But that's not exactly what Christ is promising. Because remember, friends, remember who ended up at the right and the left of Jesus when he came into Jerusalem. It was two thieves who were nailed to a cross. Listen, there is no glory apart from suffering in the kingdom of God. There is no glory apart from hardship. Jesus was humiliated exalted in execution among thieves. Is this what you want? Are you willing to share in the suffering for the sake of the kingdom? The other apostles, who apparently also misunderstand the kingdom, they catch wind of Salome's request, and they're furious, according to verse 24. Likely because they didn't think of it first. Likely because they didn't go get their mama and say, hey, mama, can you come ask Jesus something for me? I don't know that I want to ask it, but maybe my mother, he'll incline his ear to you. Would you ask him if, if I can sit at your right hand? So Jesus, recognizing in their hearts a, a misunderstanding, misunderstanding of what it means to be great in the kingdom of God, he presses in. Here's what the disciples are thinking. We've been oppressed all these years, mocked, taken advantage of. Finally, we're the ones who are going to be able to make the calls. Finally, we're going to be in a position of honor and everyone else is going to have to bow down to us. And Jesus does not want that spirit among his disciples. And so he rebukes them and reveals a central truth about his work upon the earth. Look at verses 25 to 28. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, your desire for greatness, your desire for glory and authority, it reveals that you still haven't caught a glimpse of what I've come to do. You're still not understanding my kingdom. Have you forgotten everything I taught you in the Sermon on the Mount? Have you, have you missed my example before you as I interact with the least of these, those who are desperate, Disciples, we did not come 
just to be another instrument of oppression. We did not come to walk over others so that we could be exalted at their expense. No, friends, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to captives, to give the blind sight, to give liberty to the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to, to bring about peace and restoration. I've come to set right all the brokenness among men. I've come to make all things new, not just switch people up within the brokenness. That's not why I'm here. And friends, church family, can we just behold for a moment the glory of Christ? The glory of our Savior, the Son, his humility. He could have demanded with full authority for everyone to serve him. And yet, he has come to serve. He could have condemned us all because we sinned against him. And yet he is the offended party, left the glory of heaven and took upon him flesh, the posture of a servant and a slave, becoming obedient, even obedient to the point of death upon the cross. That's the Jesus that we serve. What love, what greatness. You see, greatness and the kingdom of God, it's upside down. It's so different than we expect. And it's personified in Jesus. The last will be first. The first will be last. The humble will be exalted, while the great, according to human standards, will be humbled. Because in everything in God's kingdom, his glory is the goal. And our lives if we're following after Jesus, must be aligned with that ultimate purpose, the glory of God. It's revealed in how we love him and how we love others. And friends, I gotta say, as I was studying this passage this week, the rebuke of Jesus, the rebuke of Salome and James and John and the disciples, it stung me a little bit. Because he's directly challenging what I and my flesh want for my kids. And maybe what we want for our kids. Here's what I'm asking myself as a result of my time before the word this week. Does what I want for my children align with what God wants for my children? When I come to Jesus with a request on behalf of Jude and Julia, Am I asking of him what God wants for them? Do I understand true greatness in the kingdom of God? And am I helping my children understand that? Am I praying for that? Because friends, there is no personal glory in God's kingdom. It all belongs to him. Can I just ask us on this Mother's Day, mothers, fathers, everyone in position of influence over children, can I just ask us to sit with this question that Jesus is asking of us? Hear him ask you this question through the word and the spirit. What are you asking the Lord for when it comes to your kids? And do you desire what God desires? Are we, 
are we only thinking or even primarily thinking about their earthly future? Are we expressing concern about their eternal reality? Think about your prayer life with your children. I want you to hear me this morning. It is good to come to Jesus with requests for your children. I praise the Lord for bold moms. I praise the Lord for bold moms like Salome. I just want to make sure that we're asking the Lord for the right things. When you're praying, are you, are you praying for health, for safety, for a future spouse? All those things are good things. We should be praying for those things. But are we also considering eternity? Are we also praying about their spiritual reality and their future? Because listen, friends, we invest a great deal as parents in our children's earthly futures. And we should, that's part of our responsibility. We should help them prepare to be followers of Christ in this life. We spend a lot of time and resources on education. And that's a good thing. We want them to grow in, in knowledge and stature among men. We spend a lot of time and resources on sports and extracurricular curricular activities to make our children, children, children well-rounded. I'm discovering that more and more as we feel the pressure of what our kids are gonna be involved in throughout the week. And most of the time, extracurriculars are good. But what are we doing to prepare our children for eternity? What are we doing to prepare them for their eternal future? What are we doing to help them realize where true greatness is found? Because sometimes I fear that we allow the temporary to eclipse the eternal. And I have to wonder if it's because we have failed to understand the true nature of the kingdom and the true nature of what it means to be like King Jesus. So here's how, here's how I want to encourage us today. Here's how I want to exhort us as moms, as parents, as people with responsibility over children. I want us to pray for our kids to be like Jesus, seeking to serve rather than be served and to respond to him in a truly biblical way. One that is outlined for us in the next section of scripture, Matthew 20, verses 29 to 34. I think Christ's interaction with these two blind men actually give us a, a way, a faithful way to pray for our children with eternity in mind. So let's look at verses 29 to 34 at the end of Matthew chapter 20. So as they went out of Jericho toward Jerusalem, a great crowd followed Jesus. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But praise the Lord, they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, Jesus, in compassion, touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and they followed him. Think about the actions of these blind men. 
And remember their helpless estate. Do you remember when we talked about blindness earlier in Matthew's gospel? Blindness was a terrible burden in this time. It was considered to be direct judgment from God, a judgment that was only worse if you died. They were dependent upon people. They were dependent upon the compassion of people to provide for their needs because they were probably cast out of their families thinking that they were judged by God. And so here they are, dependent, desperate, and they catch word of Jesus coming. They hear Jesus coming and they begin to cry out to Jesus for help. And even as the crowd tries to silence them, they resist those who try to keep them from Jesus. And when Christ opens their eyes and an incredible act of compassion, they immediately get up and follow him. These blind men, they turn to Jesus in their desperation. They were humble because they recognized the humility of their position and they recognized that Christ is their only hope. They resist those forces, the crowd in this case, they try to silence them from getting to Jesus, and when they are healed by Christ, they go. Friends, isn't this a beautiful picture of the Christian life? Isn't this what we have experienced? Don't we see ourselves in this text that we who are spiritually blind, who could not see God, nor even call out to him, but for the grace of God, were able to, to call out to him for salvation, and he responded with a yes. So this morning, for those of us who have been rescued by Christ and who have been given children, a spiritual responsibility of children, can we pray in this way, rather than praying or, or primarily focusing on earthly glory, earthly versions of greatness, moms amongst us, parents amongst us, could we pray this this morning instead? Could we pray for the salvation of our children? Could we come before Jesus boldly, kneeling before him, and ask the Lord to save our kids? to help them see their spiritual blindness, to help them see the, the darkness and the condition of their heart, which all of us in this room have seen in them, <laughs> right? They're broken. They're broken, just like we all are. And we need them to know that, that this brokenness is an issue that will cause eternal separation between them and a holy and righteous God if not for the work of Christ. Would you pray that God would open their spiritual eyes and they would see their desperation and the only hope for their desperation who is Jesus? That's a bold prayer that we should be praying for our children. And secondly, would you pray for protection? Would you pray for protection for your children from those who would try to keep them quiet or distracted from Christ? Because friends, we live in a culture. We live in a crowd, amongst a crowd that is telling us to not cry out to Christ. We live amongst a culture that is saying you can find salvation in other places. 
We live in a culture that's trying to distract you or turn your eyes, turn our, our kids' eyes away from the things of God. Would you pray that God would protect your children from those things that would try to silence them or distract them? And finally, would you pray that your children would faithfully follow Christ? Once he has called them out of darkness into glorious light, would you pray that they would faithfully follow him? And I'm gonna press here because this is a dangerous prayer, especially for you moms out there. I want you to pray that they would be faithful to follow him wherever, say it with me, wherever he would lead. Because here's how sometimes we pray. God, thank you for saving my kid. I, I want him to faithfully follow you. As long as that means he will faithfully follow you to being married and by the house next door to me so that our kids, their, their kids, my grandkids can just run next door and come play at grandma and grandpa's house. I, I'm okay with him following you so long as it takes him across the streets or her across the street. I don't want you to, to take my child to another part of the country. I don't want you to take my child across the world. I, I want them to follow you, but to follow you just to this point. And we laugh about that, but isn't that the tension in our hearts? Let me ask you a question this morning. If your child came to you today and said, hey mom, dad, I'm so passionately in love with Jesus, I'm so committed to his kingdom that I believe that he is calling me to North Africa for the sake of the gospel. Would you celebrate that? Now, I'm not saying there won't be a little shock and little grief, but would you celebrate that as your child understanding true greatness in the kingdom of God? Parents and grandparents whose children are married and have grandkids, if you're your children came today and said, hey, the Lord got a hold of our hearts for a people in China or Papua New Guinea, and we're going to take our family and your grandkids, and we're going to move clear across the world for the sake of the gospel, would you be able to rejoice in that? I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm just saying, would you rejoice in that because your kids have understood what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. Now, the Lord doesn't call everybody to do those things. Your children can be great for the kingdom of God as a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer, a fire person, a police person. But he may. He may raise up your child for such a time as this. Are you praying in that way and are are you open-handed enough with your children because you recognize they are the Lord's first that if they were to say, we feel called to go, you would celebrate with them and com commit to support them? Because friends, I've known a lot of friends of mine whose parents are resistant to their obedience because of what it would cost them. Do we understand true greatness in the kingdom of God? And are we willing to suffer hardship in order to partake in the glory that is to come?
These are bold prayers, sometimes difficult prayers, but what? But prayers that are asked of us who have been entrusted with children for the glory of God. Listen, I am praying, and I hope you will join me in praying that God would raise up a generation who desire to be like Jesus and glorify him in everything they do, who live in humility with a desire to serve others. And that will only happen if we, who are in position of influence, if you mothers who are in position of influence will direct your children toward the things of God. Would you show them their need for Jesus? Would you speak of him often? Would you remind them that every good and perfect gift that you have is from God? Would you remind them that their life is a gift from God? Would you tell them of how God so loved them that he sent his only son to die for them, to take their place so that instead of judgment and condemnation, they could have eternal and abundant life? Would you allow the gospel to be on your lips. And in those moments where they fail or you fail, you would remind them that our God is a gracious and merciful God who is forgiving, who is filled with steadfast love. If we will call upon him in repentance, would you shape a gospel worldview into the mind of your children? And would you protect them? Would you help to protect them and help them to ignore the competing voices of this world? Would you take ownership of making sure that they are being fed and filled by the right things? Even if that means turning off the television, even if that means taking away their smartphone, even if that means for a season setting boundaries for their good, even if they don't like it. Because you want them to be shaped by the right things so they're not silenced or redirected from their pursuit of Christ? And would you ask and help them follow faithfully, reminding them whatever it is that they give their life to, whatever it is they go to school to prepare for, the ultimate goal of that is not to be successful in this life. The ultimate goal of that is not to achieve the American dream. The ultimate goal is to be a faithful disciple of Christ wherever he places you for the glory of God. Can you imagine what God would do with a generation of children like that? Can you imagine how his glory would be pushed through all the earth if we as a people under the direction of the Spirit, with the help of the Word, raised up worshipers, true worshipers of the one true God. Moms, parents, you are positioned for this work. You are placed for this work. Let us be about it. That's what true discipleship looks like, amen? Now, wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond to the preached word this morning. First, let me ask you this. Have you been saved? Have you found salvation in Jesus Christ? Have you recognized your blindness 
your desperation and cried out to Christ for salvation because you cannot lead your children to a place that you have not been. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'll also have some at the Discover Bailey table down the hallway to my right and your left after the service. If you need to pray with someone about Jesus and, and what salvation means for your life, we would love to pray with you and help you understand what repentance and belief in him means. And then for those of us who are in Christ, how are we doing with our children? Some of you may feel affirmed today because you've understood what greatness feels like in the kingdom of God and you've been praying in that way for your children. As you have done so faithfully, do all the more. Many of us in this room know the power of a praying mom, the power of a praying grandmother. Oh, would you go before the Lord boldly for your children? Continue to do that. Maybe some of you feel conviction today. I don't want you to feel condemnation, but maybe conviction that you've not been praying in the right way. Today, would you just resolve to, to take the example here at the end of Matthew 20 and start praying this for your children, that they would know their need, their, their state of desperation, and that Christ would save them? That they would be protected from the competing voices of this world that try to distract them or silence them? And they would follow after Jesus faithfully, wherever he leads. Would you pray that God and his sovereignty and his goodness would help us and other like-minded churches raise up a generation of worshipers that would fill the earth with his glory and see co-workers, neighbors, and nations one to the Lord. Oh, Father, would you find us faithful? Thank you for the gift of children. May we steward these young men and women well for your glory, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and respond as the Lord leads? Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.